Good morning. It is indeed an honor to be back with you again. I am the old Mike Weens, apparently. Thanks for calling me old. Where's Carrie Boyum? Yeah. Anyways, it is so wonderful to be back with you today. And as she said, I'm here kind of in place of Rob for this week so he can kind of go and help out at the house, help Michelle out with a lot of those things that she's unable to do these days. So what I'd like to do is I'd like just to stop before we get started today and just um, send a quick prayer over to the Jacobson household. So could you please bow your heads with me, please? Heavenly Father, I just I ask that you uh, be with the Jacobsons today with Rob and Michelle, Lauren, Lydia, Luke. Um, please put your healing hand upon Michelle. Help her back to get better quickly and uh, be with Rob and the kids as they all pick up um, a little bit of the slack. We just ask that you be with their household and bless them today and in the next few weeks as Michelle recovers. I pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. Well, the series that uh, I kind of jump right in the middle of is called A Heart Right with God. And the series really is, is kind of talking about the beginning of Samuel, kind of how Samuel kind of started things off, and specifically in 1 Samuel, um, the book of 1 Samuel. The part I have today, though, doesn't have a whole lot to do with Samuel, but it does have a whole lot to do with the Ark of the Covenant. Now, when I was 10 years old, I saw a movie for the first time, that movie for the first time, I'd seen other movies. It was called Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Fantastic movie. This movie just absolutely made me want to watch movies every day for the rest of my life. It was, it was, truly, it was truly outstanding. And if you haven't seen the movie before, I'm going to tell you all about it. So spoiler alert, although it's 30 years old, so I'm, I'm guessing you may have seen it. But this movie is all about Indiana Jones. He's like this, I don't know how to describe him. He's like the man every man wants to be. He wears a kind of leather brand cap, and he has a, a bull whip, and he can do everything with that bull whip, but when he can't, he also has a gun ready to go. And he's an archaeologist, but he's like also kind of like an active archaeologist. He like goes out, and he's, a, you know, he's not just like you know, dusting some things and finding like bones. He's finding like these artifacts that he has to kill entire tribes to get to. He's an amazing kind of guy. So the movie is about him, but it's really about the Ark of the Covenant. And the, this is it's set during World War II, and the Nazis during this time were looking for the Ark. And they wanted to find it because they knew that the Ark had some power. And they wanted that power. They were in this kind of to-the-death fight with pretty much the entire world, save for a few countries, and they knew that that power, they'd obviously, a number of them had been to Sunday school, and they knew the Ark of the Covenant had some power to it. And they wanted to find this Ark to kind of get the leg up on everybody else that they were in battle with. The trouble is, they, I just don't think they quite got what the Ark was all about. And in the climactic moment of this movie, they end up getting the Ark and they decide before they brought it to Hitler to show him what this art could do, they thought they better test it first. And in this scene, they're like in this mount, they're kind of this mountainous area on this island, 
and there's this guy that's wearing a robe and a hat, and he's getting ready to open up the ark. And I'd been to Sunday school quite a bit. I grew up in a, you know, a church where I went to Sunday school. I knew what the ark was in there. I knew what happened when you look inside the ark. And I'm just thinking, I, I wouldn't do that. But all these soldiers and all, you know, a couple archaeologists and people like that, and then you had Indiana Jones and his girlfriend, and they were sitting there. They had like, you know, they were kind of tied together because, of course, they got captured as well. And he's about ready to open this ark, and I'm just thinking something's going to happen. They open the ark up, and this angelic creature comes out of the ark. And it's like smiling at people and really gentle and nice and kind. And while everybody's looking at it, and they're like in awe of this thing, it just turns mad. And it starts sending out lightning bolts through everybody. And in a scene that would honestly haunt me for a good two or three years, it actually started melting people's faces. And to a 10-year-old boy, that is the coolest thing in the world. (laughs) I'm just thinking, these nightmares are so worth it to see that happen. Kids in the audience, I apologize. But that's what happened. It was cool. But the Nazis, and of course they were all dead at the end of the movie, at the end of that that scene. And it didn't go to Hitler. It actually went to a big box in a warehouse and never to be seen again. But the point was made that this ark had power. This ark had something to it that wasn't just this war weapon that could defeat all other weapons and defeat all other countries. There was something to this. The Nazis knew it. That's why they went looking for it. But the one fatal mistake that they made is that they decided that they wanted to use the Ark for their purposes. And it's there where they went incredibly wrong. They were not the first group, though, to use that Ark incorrectly. And where we're going to start today is we're going to start with kind of one of the first groups, if not the first group, to actually go wrong with assumptions to be made about the ark and what the ark could do. We're going to start with the Israelites. So if you could turn with me to 1 Samuel 4, and I'm going to read for a little bit, and then we'll go back and we'll unpack. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel, and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh, so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. And the history of Israel was such that that seemed about right, that that's what should be done. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, not the Lord's favorite people, by the way, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp. They said, we're in trouble. Nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the desert. 
Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 soldiers. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. What was in the ark? Kind of need to go back a little bit. What was the ark all about? What was in the ark? Well, you had several things that were in the ark that made a lot of sense. Number one, you had a golden jar of manna. Now, manna was really symbolic of God's provision for his people. In fact, God told the Israelites, I want to be your provider. Just look to me. Don't look to anyone else. I will provide for you. And so he sent them manna. And he said, don't save it. I will provide for you every day. Don't try and store it. Don't try and keep it to yourselves and then hopefully have some for the next day. You have to trust me here. What happened when they stored up manna? Bad things. Maggots, icky things. But they would get that manna every day. That would provide for them. You also had the tablets upon which the uh, Ten Commandments were written. This was God telling the people how to be safe. This was God telling the people, follow these rules and you will be clean and you will live a good, safe, comfortable life life. And then you also had Aaron's staff that was starting to bud a little bit, kind of a symbolic of God's power and how he could work through things like this to help the Israelites forward. You had these things in the ark, and the ark was very powerful. So the Israelites, honestly, they had reason to believe after losing 4,000 soldiers they, they had reason to believe that if we just bring the ark with us, we won't lose. God will be with us because we're bringing the ark, right? And God's not going to let us lose if we have the ark with us. It worked at Jericho. We didn't even have to pick up a sword. Just march around that, that, uh, that fortress with the ark. The song goes, the walls, they came a-tumbling down. So there was tradition on their side. This is what had happened before. They brought the ark, they win. They were successful. It happened kind of a lot. But the problem this time was in one small word in this passage. And this is back in the very first part when the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat, us, bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. And there are other translations that will say he, but the meaning behind the he or the it is fairly, fairly direct, and that is they were not asking God for help here directly. They were bringing the ark. They were bringing that symbol of God. They were bringing something with them, kind of, kind of like their lucky charm. They're like, we got the ark with us. Even the Philistines knew it. They heard the shaking. They saw the ark. They immediately knew this was the same ark from the same God that took care of things in Egypt. So the Israelites, moving forward, bringing the ark, were assuming that that's what they needed. God in a box. We're just going to bring him with. How can it go wrong? We're just going to bring him with. Obviously, things didn't go exactly like they had planned. 
they went back and got the ark. And who were the people that were kind of in front of the ark, kind of, you know, taking care of things? Hophni and Phinehas, as you found out last week, they were kind of the idiot brothers. Certainly desecrating anything that was holy with regards to the ark, doing all kinds of things, even in the kind of the tabernacle area. Not, not good people to be representatives bringing the ark forward. Not good. So you have a people in the Israelites putting God in the box, leaving him in there, bringing the box with. So bringing this ark for all the wrong reasons, just to be able to win a battle, being led by two people that obviously had no idea what they were doing. Because if they knew what they were doing, they certainly wouldn't have been living lives like they did. And what happens? The Philistines hear this. The Philistines see this. And the Philistines start saying to themselves, not, uh uh-oh, the Israelites and that ark, we better take a couple of steps back and go back to camp and retreat. No, no, the Philistines stepped forward. The Philistines said, now we're going to have to fight harder. Now we are actually going to have to step up and bring our A game. Because they've got that ark with them, and we've been told stories about that ark. So they had to fight harder. And they proved successful. Hophni and Phinehas both died on that day. And actually that fulfills a prophecy that they both, because of the things that they did, would die on the same day. That's when they died. So consider yourself an Israelite right now and think along these lines. We go to battle with the Philistines. The Philistines destroy a bunch of our men. We go and get the ark, kind of keep God in that box, and we bring that ark with us, and we bring it into battle because this is like the sign of strength, right? This is like bringing your big brother to a fight with the local bully. You know, and having your big brother wait around the corner and just say, yeah, go ahead and bring it on. And then saying, come on. Only in this situation, the big brother goes, <laughs> good luck, and walks away. Why? Why would God, and this is, you've got to figure that Philistine, or excuse me, the Israelites are thinking to themselves, why would God allow this? Why would he allow the people of Israel to suffer such huge losses when they had the ark with them? Well, I think it has something to do with that word it. They went to God for help, but instead of doing it correctly, instead of repenting and saying, God, we've been wrong, because for the previous, you know, 20 years, they had been awful people. They had been awful. They hadn't been listening to God. They hadn't been going to God for help. They hadn't been saying, God, you are the leader of our life. They had not had a relationship with God during this time. They just waited until there was a moment, and they said, okay, God, do your thing. Go ahead, save us. And they had all kinds of tradition to back them up. It seems like that had happened quite a bit before. But not this time. And if I'm, a Phil- if I'm an Israelite, I'm trying to think, what's going through my mind at the time? Well, I have maybe kind of an idea. When I was in college, I went to Bethel College, and when I was a sophomore, there was this girl. Always starts with the girl. Her name was Tiffany. And Tiffany was very cute. Not 
nearly as cute as my wife, but she was cute. And we had a class together, and we kind of sat in the back together. Her last name began with the U, mine with a W, so we kind of sat, and we had a little seating chart, we sat in the back together. And we would hang out during class, and after class, we would kind of walk, you know, walk down the hallway together as we were leaving class, and we would have good conversation. Once in a while, it was right before lunch, and so we would have lunch together. And at Bethel, that basically made you engaged. So I'm thinking, there's something going on here. This is pretty special. And this was in the spring. And right at the end of the spring, right before school was, was to be let out, right, you know, middle of May, um, she told me, you know, what are your plans? I said, well, I'm I lived 10 minutes from, from Bethel, so I was just going to quick jaunt 10 minutes and start work for the summer. And I said, what are you going to do? Well, I think I'm going to go on this missions trip this summer. And uh, she said, but first I'm going to go ahead and go home. And she lived in Pennsylvania, spent a couple of months in Pennsylvania and then go on this missions trip. And then she goes, I'm not sure about if I'm coming back to Bethel in the fall, but I'm kind of thinking it's looking good. I'm like, oh, outstanding. And she said, can I get your address? And I'm thinking, yeah, you can have my address. This is before cell phones and before email. So that was like her telling me, yeah, it's all good. I'll get the wedding started. And so I gave her my address, and she said, well, what's your parents' phone number? Because no cell phone. So I gave her my phone number. I said, well, can I get your information? She goes, well, sure. And so she gave me her information. And all was right in the world of Mike. And as we move forward in that story, I got a letter from her. It was right at the end of June. And actually, I saw it in the mailbox. I was working overnight shifts at this time. So I got home at 7 in, you know, 7 in the morning, and I took my nap, grabbed some lunch, and went out and grabbed the mail. And I saw this letter. It was a white letter. It had my name on it. She actually wrote it. And then I opened this letter. And the first thing I noticed is that it said, Dear, and typed. And then, Mike, it was written. And the rest of the letter was typed. Now, today, that might not seem like a big deal, but back then, that means you actually probably typed it. I'm like, oh, it's a personalized letter, typewritten even. Thinking, there's something good here. And then I went on to read this letter, and there was no other handwriting in the rest of this letter. And while it didn't ask me to come out to visit her in Pennsylvania because she thought we really had something, it did ask me for money for her missions trip. And that was all. She didn't even sign her name. She just typed it. Well, of course, now I can understand. She typed this letter to a whole bunch of people and made a photocopies and then just put their name at the top. Yeah. Tiffany. Tiffany. <laughs> Broke my heart for like 20 minutes. Then there was another girl that I worked with. She was a lot cuter. But anyways. <laughs> so how does this relate? Well, in my situation, I really... I really liked Tiffany, and I thought there was maybe something there. And then Tiffany, it seems like, had something connected with me too, and then what do I get? I get this letter asking for money with no personal relationship attached. There was no, hey, Mike, hope you're having a good summer. I'd really like some help raising money so I can go on this missions trip. There was nothing like that. It was a form letter. And I would be willing to bet that God kind of felt the same way in this situation. Here was this people, the Israelites, that he was connected to, that he made his people. He provided for. He went into battle with for them. Gave them the ark to tell them, I am with you. And then for how many years, during the Hophni and Phinehas years, they kind of, 
left God in that box. And they said, we still have God. We're going to do our own thing. They stopped the relationship. There was plenty of ritual, plenty of religion, because, you know, that's what they probably did. They kept doing some of the same things, but there was no connection to God. So you go through all this time, and then all of a sudden you get into battle, you lose a bunch of men, and now, now you're asking for money? You have nothing for me for how many years? You put Phineas and Hophni in charge of the ark, and they do all those nasty things that Rob talked about last week that they did? You put them in charge of my ark, and now you want my help? And I think there had to have been a feeling of the Israelites at this time that maybe the Israelites were kind of thinking to themselves, great, God has gone over and now he's with the Philistines. But the Philistines did not get off that easy either. If you've read any in the chapter, and I'm not going to read too much of this because there's a lot there, but in chapter 5 and 6 it talks about what happened with the Philistines. Pretty much everywhere they brought that ark, there were issues. Tumors. Death, bad stuff for the Philistines, to the point where they brought it back to the Israelites. There was an issue there. The Israelites wanted to keep God. They wanted to control God. They wanted to have a point where they went over and they're in this battle. They were kind of losing and saying, okay, God, go ahead. And God, I get this picture of him kind of saying, you don't get it. I'm not your big brother. I'm not your weapon. I'm not your secret box that you can bring out when you need to. Just, just like happened on that island in the movie, Israelites paid dearly for it. God was looking for that relationship with his people. If you would have given them the relationship, he's essentially saying, I will take care of everything else. But they ignored the relationship. What he wanted was repentance. Not rituals, not religion. He wanted repentance that would lead to a right relationship. When the uh, Philistines brought back the ark, he brought it back to a place, a place called Beth Shemesh. And we read about this in chapter 6. And I'm going to start in verse 13. And we're going to see a little contradiction in how God and necessarily the ark maybe could be treated a little differently. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley, and when they looked up and saw the ark, they rejoiced at the sight. The cart came to the fields of Joshua of Beth Shemesh, and there it stopped beside a large rock. The people chopped up the wood of the cart and sacrificed the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. Let me back up a step. What the uh, Philistines did was they actually put the ark on a cart and they put two cows in front of it and kind of sent it on its way and kind of backed away just to see what would happen. And so what did the uh, people of Beth Shemesh do? They burned the cart and they sacrificed the cows. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord because the Levites were the chosen people that would be the ones in charge of the ark. Together with the chest containing the gold objects, and placed them on a large rock. On that day, the people of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord 
not to the ark, but to the Lord. And the five rulers of the Philistines saw all this and then returned that same day to Akron. Now, I don't know if you know anything about farming, but when it's time to harvest, you just harvest. And now, you know, certainly nowadays, that obviously means money for the farmers, but back then, it meant more than money, it meant food. If you don't harvest, you have no food. And so for them to stop in the middle of harvest and go take care of these things meant a lot. It meant putting God up top and everything else down below. It was saying our relationship with you comes first. They did things right. The people of Beth Shemesh understood that, that is where you begin. You begin with relationship. And then you move to the ritual, the burnt offerings. And then you move to the religion. And it's that relationship that God wants. It's that personal acceptance of him as your leader of your life that he wants. They got it right. I think of the number of things in my life that kind of have become the Philistines. The things that take me away from that relationship. And sometimes I have to start with things that are kind of painful. It's all about where I spend my time. How often am I in the Word? Or how often am I watching TV? It's about how often am I in prayer, not just for the big things in life, like trying to sell a townhouse, but it's also for the little things, asking for opportunities to speak with some of my friends about my relationship with God. You can start down that road and anything in your life that gets in the way of you and your relationship with God is really like the Philistine. It's that thing that you encounter. It's that thing that creates an idolatry that you'd look back and you finally say, God, I can't handle this anymore. Take care of it. Just like the Israelites tried to do. And trust me, I am absolutely not saying that the things that you're praying about don't require God's help. Because we all pray about some things that are important and some things that are not important. I've certainly prayed for friends that have had cancer. But I've also prayed that certain things would happen during a football game. Circa 1998, with a field goal that went awry and then a field goal that went right through the uprights. And overtime, Falcons. But we pray about these things. But I always kind of wonder what, what happens in the midst of that prayer as God's listening and why he seems to answer some and not answer others, at least not answer it in the way that I want. And sometimes there does seem to be kind of a, I don't know, there seems to be kind of an inconsistency at times. And I think what God's truly looking for is he's looking for that relationship first. Is this getting lower? Just like I was looking for with Tiffany. Because if Tiffany writes me a letter and says, Hey, Mike, it's been great you know, getting to know you. I really appreciate your friendship. And now could I have some money? I'd probably send her a thousand bucks. But it's that relationship building first. It's the Israelites not just bringing the ark of God, but it's actually opening up the ark and saying, God, we trust you. Please help us. Let's start this relationship. Again, we repent. 
And we see the consequences of not doing that. And again, not to say that that's going to happen to you in your life and things are going to go poorly if you don't start that relationship. Sometimes things just go better for people who have no relationship with God. But it's that relationship, that beginning, that start, that will carry you even when things don't go well. In chapter 7, we see what happens. The Israelites kind of get it. Starting in verse 2. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim. This is, of course, after they got the ark back and they sent it to Kiriath-Jerim. And all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. And Samuel said to the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their bales and their ashtrets and served the Lord only. This is what God was waiting for. This is what God was hoping for before they went and got the ark. Interesting part of the story that I haven't talked about a whole lot quite, or I hadn't talked about was what happened when Eli was told about Hophni and Phinehas and that they died on the same day and two things happened. Number one, Eli fell back in his chair, broke his neck, and died. And then another interesting thing happened. Phineas's wife was very pregnant at the time, and when she was told, she went into labor, and she died in labor. She had a son, and she named the son Ichabod. And the name actually means the glory has departed. And I think if we read this story and we think about what happened with the Israelites, some people would say, well... The ark was lost, therefore the glory has departed. Whereas I look at that a little differently. The glory had already departed. That's why the ark was lost. The people had already moved away and gone away from God. The people had already let the glory go. When they brought the ark, that was God saying, come back to me, or else this is what can happen. What does this mean for me? And I'm going to talk to me because I don't exactly know your stories, at least not most of yours. This means for me that I start with God first and let everything else come after that. It means that I start by opening up the word maybe instead of turning on the TV at times. Or this means that I develop that relationship through prayer, not just in big times when I need a field goal or when I have a friend that's not doing well. For me, it... It really means that every time I see a religious tradition or ritual in my life, that I let that take me back and make me and help me remember what Christ did for me. And that brings brings meaning. The Israelites needed to go back. They needed to let God out of the box, bring that relationship and let him provide and let him take care of business for them. Instead, they tried to keep them bottled up. They tried to keep them under their watch, and they paid for it dearly. In a few minutes, we're going to do communion. I'm going to pray, and then we'll do communion. And Communion is, is a tradition. It goes all the way back to Jesus. And this tradition carries meaning with it, certainly for me. And it brings meaning because of who it reminds me of, not necessarily times that I've 
taking communion or the first time I had communion, although that could be very special for some people. But for me, it reminds me the price that Christ paid. So I'd like to pray and then we'll take communion. Lord, help us to focus on you. Help us to be mindful of the fact that you just want us. You want us in your life. You want us to be repentant when we don't do what we should. And you want us to come back to you when we stray. Help us, Lord, to have a strong faith. Help us to remember that our lives are meant to glorify you. Help us to build that relationship and let you out of the box in our lives. Let that spirit and that strength be evident in our life, just who you are. I pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.